Hi, I'm Patrick Kagan, your host for Sales Hindsights, a podversation that combines my 30 plus years of experience with the expertise of my guests, and trust me, all of them will amaze you. Now, it's been said that hindsight is 2020 vision, so my guests and I are charged with answering one thing for you knowing what we know now, what best practices and takeaways have the last 30 years in sales, sales management, executive leadership, and entrepreneurship provided to us that you can take with you. So enjoy the listen as we podversate for your growth. Okay, thank you for tuning into our podcast, Sales Hindsights. Just by tuning in, you've actually accomplished two things. The first is you've taken the first best step toward improving some situation or some outcome in your life, in your world that you're just not happy with. The other step that's really important is that you've actually proved to yourself that by listening to outside confidential coaching input, you can actually benefit yourself. So congratulations on that. Now, in the course of our conversation, you're going to discover that we absolutely make sales make sense. But the best part about this platform is that the listener voice has really come alive. And we tackle things like management, leadership, entrepreneurship, and life in general. So yes, we're going to make all those make sense along with making sales make sense. And we do it in a very practical and easy to understand approach. And we try to give you those little nuggets you get to carry with you each day. And when you're faced with that situation, you're not sure what to do, you've got that nugget, you pull it out, and you know exactly what to do because we are there for you. Now, I want you to make sure that you download, like, follow, share our podcasts, and it's really easy to do. Just go to our website, pksolutionsgroup.com. And there, you can do a couple of things. You can just click on the Our Podcast button, and you can get all of our four or five seasons of podcasts and all the episodes that we bring to you. And you can like, share, and follow there. You could also set up monthly membership if you want at the support the podcast button where you can set up monthly one-on-one time between my staff and yourself and we can attack any goals or objectives that you might have. And the other is you may just want to get single edition bonus format. So just go to the shop button at our website where you can get single edition deep dive content that will help you. We want to do that. We want to have you join and become members and support the show so we can continue bringing you great content and more importantly, great guests like we have joining us today. Today, we have a friend of mine for 30 plus years, Ed Brady, coming to join us. Ed has spent the last 30 years in sales and leadership roles. He has spent the last 11 or 12 years as an enterprise account manager at a Fortune 500 IT hardware manufacturer. And we're going to talk about creating the best customer experience, creating customers for life. And this is something that Ed personifies in his whole approach. And I think you're going to really enjoy his input. Ed, hopefully I did you justice with uh, reading your bio and talking about what your abilities are. Yeah, thanks, Pat. I'm looking forward to sharing information with with this audience and, you know, exploring this this concept further. Well, it's interesting because just, uh, you know, we go back 30 years. We've known each other a long time personally and professionally. And and I can say that this has been a guiding principle um, for you, I think, for as long as I've known you. But I think the awareness you've had that that you're in it to create a customer for life, um, it's you, you've almost perfected that whole approach 
to I, it's your job, but it's the way you approach people. Can you tell me? I mean, where uh, two questions? One is where did that guiding principle come from? And then two, was there a moment or an experience or something that stands out in your mind that really made that that whole principle pop out? And, and you said, "Wow, this is this is what I have to do." Yeah, um, great question, Pat. Um, you know, the leadership. Uh, at HP, where I work, um, came up with that mantra, customers for life. And when I saw that the first time several years ago, it really resonated with me. It was just such a, um, just encapsulated what I felt like my approach always was, Mm -hmm. but it, it took it and it gave me a target, right? Something to shoot for, and something to keep top of mind as I work and develop and support my accounts, my accounts. And, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I don't know if people put that as a target or something they aim at. Um, but, you know, the way I the way I put it sometimes with my customers is you know, what you do is louder than what you say. Yeah. So I think uh, you're right. I mean, when you say target, right, it, Maybe that's not the, the most clear way to think about it. But the way I use it personally as I'm interacting with customers and providing them with solutions or different options, I always think, will this approach result in a customer for life? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, if it's a short-term approach just to benefit Ed, then I really have to ask, is that the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the right solution for my customer or is that the right solution for Ed? And if I come back and say, eh, maybe it's not the right solution, you know, I'm just looking at a short-term gain, then I'm going to pull that off the table. My focus is how do I make sure, not that I make this sale today, but that this customer is still buying from us five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And I think that that's really an important concept because ultimately, right, we're all looking to build and grow strong, profitable customer relationships. And long-term relationships are those that are the most profitable for the organization. That's, I mean, that's absolutely uh, the right approach. Now, I got to ask you, it, there's got to be pressure to perform in some instances where you have that philosophy, what's best for the customer, best long-term approach. But there must be sometimes where there's pressures, whether it's you have to reach a quarterly objective or a manager says you have to close this deal because the manager needs you to close the deal. How do you balance having that long-term vision and, and building a customer for life with the short-term pressure of having to perform? going to be pressures on you when you're in a sales role, right? Because your performance is driving uh, your income for your family, right? And how you support your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also very visible inside the organization, right? You either are meeting that goal or you're not meeting the goal set by the organization. So you're right. There's always going to be that, that pressure. Um, but that's sort of a transient pressure. It may change from quarter to quarter, 
right? And if you adopt the customer for life as a long-term approach, then a lot of that transient pressure over time starts to go away because you have that trusted relationship with the customer. You're going to consistently see the results that you need. I think, too, critical and key to, to the success of this mindset is you mentioned it. It was your boss's boss who came up with this. Clearly, support from the top will trickle down so that there shouldn't be, in your scenario, there shouldn't be that conflict because it would seem that the conversation not only has to do with we need to close this business, but the conversation would be while we need to close this business, we need to build a customer for life. And Ed, what are you doing to help facilitate that? Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily, right? There, There's still, you know, new objectives coming up on a quarterly by quarterly quarter basis, on an annualized basis, where the company says, hey, we need to sell more of this type of solution or product, or we need to focus here. And the comp plan is adjusted to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and does that always align to customers for life? Not necessarily. There's there's a, a product uh, and a revenue plan, and then there's a, a philosophy plan, right? Right. I guess what I have experienced is that as long as I keep that main philosophy of customers for life in the forefront of what I do, it doesn't matter so much how the company pivots from plan to plan or priority to priority on a you know annualized basis or a multi-year basis. If I've built that strong, trusting relationship with the customer, I'm going to have enough opportunities to meet wherever the company needs to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, that philosophy is, your, you know, it's a guiding philosophy. And you think of it like sailing a ship and looking at the North Star. And if that North Star stays steady and you use exactly. that, then the waves that ebb and flow the ship, meaning the compensation plan, um, don't steer you off course. And your customer doesn't feel like, oh, wow, Ed got a new compensation plan this quarter. Now he's doing this. And, oh, wow, Ed is now doing that. And what it leads to is you get whiplash from, you know, looking at comp plan to comp plan to comp plan. And your customer notices that and you end up failing as opposed to you've survived several different economies and lots of changing technology with a singular focus on building customers for life, regardless of all that noise that's around you. And I think that's, I think that's really important. It's, it adopts the Sean Akers mentality of everybody can lead from their own seat. And I think you've done a good job of being a leader regardless of what your title is. And your leadership is towards that end, that customer for life, that great customer experience. Yeah, I mean, leadership is an important part whenever you get inside um, an organization. You know, it's, it's funny, right? and I'm sure I know you've experienced because we've talked about it, that oftentimes we spend more time selling internally (laughs) than we spend selling outside the organization, right? Yeah. And and that selling internally is part of your leadership skills. Right. Right? 
Um, and so we all have to do that, regardless of whether, you know, you're leading a team that's, you know, sitting in the cubicle next to you, or you're leading a team where you've got one resource um, halfway across the country, you've got a resource in Mexico, you've got a resource in the UK, you've got a resource in Poland. It, they're, they're all key to creating that customer experience and that customer for life. You know, one of the things that, you know, I always use when I'm talking both to management and talking with people that are on the account team that support a customer relationship is the customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got to deliver the best possible customer experience you can have because, as I like to say, customer is not going to be likely to buy another solution from you if they're not happy with what they're buying from you today. Now, a great example that I use that almost anybody can relate to is your internet service that comes into your home, say it's Comcast or Xfinity or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. You have a terrible experience with that. When they call you and say, hey, we'd like you to put your mobile phone plan on here, or we'd like you to up your plan to include, you know, 100 gigabytes down, whatever it is, right? If you're having a terrible customer experience, the probability of you doing that for me, approaches almost zero. Right. And you know what's interesting um, is, you know, I, I see I, I see leadership. When I work with clients, um, I see sometimes leadership wants to fix problems they can identify. Um, and I see the, the folks that they think are the problem struggling with making whatever vision, you know, the, the, the West Wing has come to, to life and there's a disconnect. What I see you do a really good job of is, um, you know, you you command respect, you don't demand respect, and and there's a big difference, and and I see that you know you you're very respectful with how you approach folks who maybe have earned their title, but have lost sight of the customer experience and they have a short term focus, and you facilitate the folks around you who you need to get something bigger done than you could do on your own. And together, you're in charge of, you own the process of the customer experience, but other folks become shareholders in that. And, and I, think it's a, I think it's a testament to what you do where I've never heard you or seen you adopt the philosophy of, well, that's not my job. Because you, you adopt the philosophy of, it's everybody's job to create the customer experience. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, for you, is that something that you learned? Is it something natural? I mean, how do you talk to somebody and say, hey, I, I want you to I want you to command respect, not demand respect. How do you do that? Like, is it something you learned or is it something you just do naturally? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of, of things um, that are important to unpack there, right? Mm -hmm. One of them is, you know, knowing the customer, right? And you, you talked about different levels of leadership. Um, and the higher you get inside of an organization, the less you know about the problems that are going on. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but the flow of information going up in, in, in an organization gets um, filtered at every level. So if you take the front line that deals with the customer, 
and they share information with the manager. That manager then takes it across 10 people, and he filters a few things and shares it to the director. And that director takes that information across all of his managers, and he filters a few things out and shares it with the senior director or the VP. And the VP takes it from across, right, and they keep filtering it. Mm -hmm. By the time it gets to the top, it's so filtered down that you have very little information. The only information you get is, hey, we've got a problem. Right. (laughs) We don't know what it is because it's been filtered so many times by the time it gets there. So you kind of have to understand that structure in an organization that when they tell you something from the top down, it's not because they are trying to intentionally make a bad decision. It's because they don't have the same information that you have. Right. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And my question then becomes for you, um, how do you, if you're trying to create the best customer experience and your leadership is telling you to do something, but they don't have all the information, how do you uh, communicate that to them knowing that if you go to your boss and they go to their boss and they go to their boss, by the time it gets to the top, it's filtered again. How do you navigate that so that you can get the person in charge to say, look, Ed Brady's got all the information. I'm just going straight to him. How do you do that? Yeah, it's it's about building those those trust relationships, right? Mm-hmm. It's building a relationship. It's building a, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, a consistent track record, right? Right. Where you have shown your performance over time, and they trust you, right? Mm-hmm. They trust you that you're going to get it done at some point, right, one way or the other. Um, So you have to have that trust running both ways, from the manager down to you, and from you, more importantly, from you up to the manager. You know, a lot of people get so frustrated these days when when they're dealing with complex organizations, whether that be their customers' organizations or their own organization. They say, well, that's the way we did it last time. Just do it this way now. Right. Last time could have been yesterday, and it doesn't apply anymore. Or last time could have been six months ago, and it doesn't apply anymore because things change so quickly inside of an organization and inside of the, the business or, or, or society. Things just change quickly. And so we have to be able to say, We can't get angry that we can't do it the same way we did it yesterday. We just have to say, okay, got it. I can't do it that way. What is the way that I can do it, right? And so you're becoming a problem solver and create and making those opportunities for yourself. So you can't get frustrated. You just have to understand that just because you did something yesterday or because your manager said do it this way and it doesn't work, it doesn't mean they were trying to mislead you. It just means that they were working with the best information they had at the time as well. I don't know if that makes sense. A lot of complexity when you're working inside of an organization or inside of a customer that you can't control. What you can control is how you respond to it and how you, you work towards problem solving. Absolutely. And I think, I think the size of the organization you work at makes a difference. It's, you're describing a three-dimensional dance. And the dance could be a tango. It could be a waltz. It could be several of those. And it's like a Rubik's cube. It, it changes all the time. And um, I think that... The orchestra trade changed, changed from a tango to a waltz. So yeah. They're waltzing. You know? Yeah, exactly. React and adapt. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, as a consultant, 
when I'm working with organizations, what I find, and you said it perfectly, when the conversation starts with, let me show you how we do things here, the conversation's over because that that is absolutely not going to lead to a, a third alternative or a better way or a creative solution. It's kind of like defensive. And, and I like what you're saying that when you can drop that at the door, and that's hard to do, and some people have invested themselves in systems that have worked or customer situations, and to be able to say, okay, that's cool. Let's let's check that for a second. Let's take let's let's keep exploring. I think that that makes a big difference. Um, yeah, know, I think it, it's very easy to go, to, you know, to get caught up in your day and your work and what you're trying to do, and you know, somebody, your boss or somebody else says, hey, just do it this way and that'll work, right? right. That'll solve the problem. And you try it and it doesn't. Well, then you get you can either a be pissed like, well, that person's an idiot and they misled me, and oh, well, I can't believe I'm so frustrated. They have to work for a stupid organization, you know, whatever it is, right? right like this, or you say eh, that person was probably trying to help me, but something changed, and, and they weren't aware of it, or nobody told them about it. So I just need to go solve this problem. Well, and I think too the the, the struggle and the challenge is to to like you said, have the have the the guiding principle, the North Star that says, I'm creating a great customer for life. And so if the ship that you're sailing has holes in the bottom and you have someone say to you, look, stick a piece of gum on that. We've done that before. That'll get us to the end of the line. And you say, yeah, okay, we still have the problem. You know, that's going to last only so long. That's not a solution, you know, and, and, and that's a difficult thing, but when, when you say to somebody, look, what if I told you, what if I told you this problem, this hole would be gone forever and we would take on no more water? As a matter of fact, we'd, we'd sail more efficiently and suddenly people are going, okay, okay, let me listen. What have you got to say? I think that's a, I think that helps when you talked about internal and external selling. It's internal and external customers. And you want to build internal customers for life as well as the external customers for life. And I really think that's your secret. Absolutely. And it's the same skill set. So back to my question, for you, was it something you learned or was it something that you just were born or that you naturally were like this and it just blossomed over time? I think that, um, you know, that's an interesting question. I'm sure that I've learned a lot of it over time, right? Um, and it's just been ingrained, you know, as part of who I am. I think that there is an important distinction, regardless of what you're doing in your career. Um, but maybe I just see it as more important because sales is my career. But that is authenticity. However you are, whoever you are, whatever your approach is, just be authentic about it, right? Right. right. And that creates a level of trust and transparency, I think, regardless. So if, you're, if, if, if your goal is, listen, I'm trying to sell today's quota or whatever, you know, be authentic about that. I, 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 I always think that authenticity is the key. Right. And for me, that authenticity that resonated with customer for life is just my, my approach. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think that I think what, that's exactly what it comes down to because authentic, authenticity is character it's, it's, you know, you do the things that are important when no one's looking. And that's, and if you're like that, you know, and it, it, it's like the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's a million different things we've heard through time. But if you have an authentic, oh, who knew? yeah, yeah. 
But if you had an authentic experience with somebody that was good, like you said, you'll come back for more. Now, um, you know, folks that listen to our podcast, they're going to be, they work at Fortune 500 companies like you. They work at, uh, you know, mid-sized companies. They work at a small company. They're an entrepreneur. They're starting a business. They're, they're actually now the boss when they used to be the worker bee, you know. So um, some folks are going to, you know, they're going to be, I guess, nervous about taking the lead regardless of what their title would be. So what would you tell those that are listening that maybe want to do what you're saying, but maybe they don't have the courage to step up like like your experience has shown you is an okay thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any, uh, you know, facts or figures, supporting documents, right? You know, analysis that says, you know, the most profitable customers are the long-term customer relationships. I'm sure those those numbers are out there. I can see it from the customers that I support, though, right? That that the the customers that we've had for the longest are the ones that drive our business and support our business forward, right? The customer that we've had for a year or six months, eh, not not that big of a deal, right? And and from so the- I don't have that type of uh, analysis. All I can say is that. I think that if you look at your own history of customer relationships, you'll find that to be true. So for the employee, from that perspective, the employee that they don't have the experience you do to maybe raise their hand and say, let me let me lead this process. Their, their, their instinct is to step back and let the manager do it because that's their title. What um, Maybe what would you say to them, maybe the first step, like, why it's going to be okay to speak up about the customer experience or to to take that role without saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to lead this. Like, how do you give them the courage to do something out of their comfort and and focus on that customer experience and lead the way from the from the employee standpoint? I, you know, I don't know that there if, if there is an inherent conflict right between your goal of a long-term customer relationships and the management's short-term goal. If there's an inherent conflict there, yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a real challenge, right, to overcome that because, because you are focusing on two different things. What I can tell you, though, is that if you can create that track record of consistency from, from that customer experience, it won't matter if their short-term goals are out of alignment with your long-term goals because you'll be able to deliver those short-term goals as well because the customer will trust will trust you. Right. And I think that's so important because in today's day and age, I think people confuse the, the statement, pursue your passions for quit your job and do something completely 180 degrees the other way. And I don't know that that's always the case. Like, I see you working at a Fortune 500 company and your passion that you've been this type of person, you like creating a positive customer environment. And my saying is everything speaks. So I see what you do speaks so loudly that I don't need to worry about what you're saying because what you do matches what you say and what's deep down in your heart. And so I see you pursuing your passion. And it doesn't mean that you said, okay, I'm going to stop working at Hewlett-Packard, and I'm going to go, you know, um, sell peanuts on a corner. I mean, it's not something so divergent. Like, you found your passion, and you're doing well at it. Yeah, 
leadership, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you get into, uh, I'm less familiar with it, so I'm more familiar with large account sales, right? Yeah. These are relationships where you have got, uh, my largest customer is, you know, approaches $30 million a year in, in revenue globally, right? Right. right. So you're not going to do that by yourself. Right. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? You've got to have a team of people working for you and working with you, right? Not for you, but working with you. Um, and so you have to be able to lead that team even though they don't formally work for you, right? They have a, you may have six people on that team and they all have a different management structure and they all have different roles and responsibilities. But you have to kind of coalesce them around the idea that our goal is customers for life and a key part of that goal is creating a great customer experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once you get everybody understanding that and agreeing to that, you've got a, you've got a much better shot of achieving that goal. But it's selling. It's selling internally, right? Because all of those people have got their own pressures from their own management, right? Mm-hmm. And their own MBOs and their own responsibilities as well. And so, you know, you, you, you have to be, uh, I mean, there's part of it is being a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And as is, is, is silly as that sounds, that is a big part of, of my sales job internally is being that cheerleader well and i think that um i've i've i agree with you and i pre- i've preached this quite a bit to folks that sometimes you need to be the cheerleader the star quarterback the the offensive line and the coach all wrapped into one and we have a lot of folks who are either entrepreneurs they're they're running a small business or they're about to or they're considering it and i think that if you think about the idea of a mission statement if it was as simple as we're going to create the best customers for life. And then you take that and you, you know, you may not be 30 million. Your quota may be bigger than some companies. Maybe they're trying to get to their first million. But to get to that first million or to that first half a million or whatever the number is, you need other folks. And yeah. you, you have to have folks in your team that you trust that this is what we're after. Now, now you're good at what you do. Go do that. And then you, as the person who's being told that, have to have, like you said, the trust has to go upwards to your, to whoever the person is calling the shots, and their trust has to go flow downwards, and together you will do that. And that trust, you know, comes over time. And I think that, you know, I always tell everybody that regardless of, of what your title is, if you own that customer experience, the customer will make you invaluable to your employer. And so over time, when I, when I try to encourage folks, you know, what's that first step to raise your hand and say, I think this would be a better thing. As sometimes I have to model that for the folks I'm consulting, that it's not natural. Someone wants to say, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, this is what we do. And then you have somebody who maybe they answer the phone all days and, and all day long they hear certain themes. And when they throw that theme out there, some smart people jump on that and big things happen. And I think that's the whole the whole gist of it. And, that, and what I've seen, you know, from you and what I think we... My nugget that I would share with other folks is create your own internal customer experience. Create things that teach you that it's okay to take that next step and to raise your hand and to step up because 
The worst that happens is it fails. And you say, I tried. I tried to create a good customer experience, but I did it with authenticity and I did it in good faith and I didn't do anything that was going to be subversive to the company goals. I just thought that was the better thing. Yeah. And, and think long-term, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, you, you, you do have to shift a little bit, right? It's not about, you know, this, this sale today or this quarter. It's about this relationship for a lifetime. Right. Right. I agree, Ed. Ed, I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have customers that are waiting to have that great experience with you. So uh, if folks wanted to send you a note or tell you thanks, is the best way on LinkedIn or what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. It's just uh, Ed.Brady, I think, at LinkedIn. Perfect. Ed, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I think that our listeners are going to benefit from your, your wisdom and your hindsights. Thanks, Pat.